sedentary can't have ADD and can't sit still. You know what I'm saying? So there's there's kind of means to the madness, and it's to give you guys the best you know chance of succeeding based on previous you know previous experiences throughout the company because they've been doing this for a long time. But so Charles, did you want me to uh, transition into the day's lesson? <laughs> Go for it. You have right. the floor. So I'm going to change change some things up just a little bit because we don't have, you know, we don't have some of the guys that are a little bit more experienced and you guys are our little fledglings that we're trying to help fly the, uh, you know, fly the nest. But, you know, the, the, the first, you know, year that you guys are doing this job, it's, it's all about establishing habits that are going to keep you successful and sustainable all the way through. When you first come in, the first thing you want to do is you just want to go haphazardly in all directions because you just want to find business, you want to find a deal, you want to find, you know, anything. So it all starts with a, a flurry, but using, you know, they it's like they say there's two pains in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Only thing is pain of discipline weighs ounces, pain of regret weighs pounds. So keeping focused on doing the right things up front is going to vastly smooth out, you know, and keep, uh, keep success sustainable. And so prospecting is the number one thing. Literally it's like 80% of MSRs that fail, fail because their prospecting pipeline dried up and that gets you into, it, it gets you into a little bit of a stressful fight because there's, you know, there's like a 60 or 90 day projection kind of rule. The work that you were doing, you know, now you're not really going to see the, uh, the impacts or the, the success for about 60 to 90 days. But what you also can do is when you are in a lull, you can look 60 or 90 days back and ask yourself, what were you doing? And you know, it usually tells. You'll usually be like, oh, yeah, that was when my list was stale. I was calling the same people. People weren't answering. I was getting frustrated. So then I'd just try to run around and, you know, drum something up. And you lost sight of the prospecting kind of foundation of just consistently bringing in fresh water. Consistently, you know, every week bringing in 10 to 20 new people and keeping that quality the quality of who you let in is going to directly impact the quality of what comes out you know in the form of your paycheck so if you're getting into a situation of you know i don't i don't know how far you guys have gotten into it but if we have a meeting with a maintenance manager and all of our meetings are maintenance managers you're going to have a bad day because they're the guys that can tell you no but they can't tell you yes but they're also easier to get appointments with. So sometimes it becomes a little bit of a battle to where when you get into the rough or the thick of like, man, I can't sit down with, or I'm having a hard time getting hold of the right people. Be careful to not fall into the trap of just taking a bunch of meetings, you know, with people that can say no, but can't say yes, because it crushes your, you know, it, it does two things. It's going to crush your confidence because the deals that you work on are not going to go anywhere. At the last minute, they're going to try to take it off, and they're going to be like, all right, I'm going to sell this. Don't worry about it, and it's going to fail. I have like a 5% close rate once that proposal leaves my hands with the wrong person. So that proposal getting to the right person and the right foundation leading up to that moment is going to be all of your success or all of your failure. And if you're going through taking the easy route with the maintenance guys, you're going to get real frustrated real quick because they're not going to go anywhere. And so, you know, when it comes, when it comes to what, you know, everybody has their different ways that they manage how they prospect and one person to reach out to, or, you know, Matt can just go next door over to Kent's office or two down, but Kent has been doing this for 18 years. And he has, for 18 years, consistently delivered. And the reason is, is because he's constantly out there making new quality connections with people. And it, you know, 
it pays for itself when you're when you're doing the right things and going after the right people and you have the right messaging it might not be the right time but as long as you're with the right person and the right messaging comes across it opens you up for the door whenever something does go wrong with them if you have the right meeting right message with the right person they're going to call you and be like hey all those things that you were saying you help with we're now starting to experience it and so they they'll start coming back into the bucket if you have that conversation with maintenance guys and it's not the right time the only callbacks they're going to call you for are going to be losing opportunities it's going to be hey we need a bid on this you know hey can you give me a price on that and price is not where we win price is where you know price with the wrong message is where we lose so if you start to establish those connections with the right people you're going to fall into the right time the right person and those are great but as you consistently are meeting with people the more decision makers you meet with and the better your message is the more success will start to gain momentum with you and kind of give you a little bit of a you know uh sales in the or what is it wind in the sales if you will um so i have a question matt when you were working at adp they're a huge you know multi-billion dollar company were you uh were you inside sales in that in that position no i was outside sales you were outside sales did they set appointments for you or did you have to set your own no so i i set all my own appointments with adp nice so it was a combination of you know cold calling it was a combination of you know adp works with strategic partners so they work with like like bankers cpas so my job was basically to meet with those people on a weekly or bi-weekly basis try to build a relationship so that i can be referred mm-hmm. so that's how i got a lot of did a lot of prospecting absolutely so that is a big transition point that happens with MSRs after you you kind of you know cut your teeth on the just straight up cold calls to you know random people that you figured out um, you know that that part is a grind but it's an investment into your referral network it's a an investment into the seeds you plant and it starts to you know it starts to kind of facilitate or force multiply what you've been doing if you're meeting with the right people. So not only getting in and having meetings with, you know, guys that are in positions of power, they're, you know, they have clout, they have the business mindset to understand making investments for sustainability, but also when you're going around also keep your eyes out for people like that the bankers you know that uh that help you in adp in this you know in this realm i call them pb and j partners so people that i you know work with a lot um elevator companies there are guys that go around and they sell elevator maintenance and they also sell gpms or the gpm equivalent on elevators also um generators guys that sell generator maintenance those guys also do full full service so they're doing the same grind they're going after the same people that you know need and have that mindset so you can when you start building those types of relationships i mean i would say write it down to like reach out to elevator maintenance sales guys um generator maintenance sales guys water treatment companies um test and balance companies, filter changing companies, and and start early on building those types of relationships because those guys are in, you know, either like the elevator and generator, they work with people that are open-minded to full service type agreements, filter changing company, water ba- or water treatment, air balance companies are constantly in and around people that are having challenges and issues that we can help solve so start early on building that base of network because there's nothing more satisfying than getting a call from somebody saying hey you know i was i was referred to by this person i need you to come in because those are the ones you're wanting to come in more than not because you're not pushing the ball up the hill you're just getting in the right place and they pull themselves through so that's 
you know, that's a uh, one thing that I would have, I wish I would have done early on or a lot earlier on. Because once I started getting in with like commercial real estate guys and you know stuff like that, it kind of you kind of start to meet more people from a different angle as opposed to just calling and saying, "Hey, I can help you with HVAC or whatever." So, uh, how's everybody as of right now? How does everybody manage their prospecting list? I know Matt, you just started, so you're you know brand spanking into it. But you know, Matthew. You've been here for a little while. How do you, you know, what's your kind of prospecting uh, process? Like, what have you found that... Before you before you move forward and jump into that, you might make a comment based on some of the things you just mentioned. And I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone and eat while we're talking, so I've got my camera off intentionally. So, anyways. But, you know, Rob brings up a, a very good point as far as different other sales folks that are calling on similar places that we're calling on and if not the same place with networking with you know getting leads and things like that there, there's always one thing to just you always want to kind of question and just be aware of is most other companies that are that are selling services maintenance elevator service air compressor service or whatnot, not all of them are focused on high-level financial analysis kind of discussions. So you do want to always be a little leery as far as what level they're currently working with, um, which there's, there is not a single problem with going into a facility at a maintenance manager level. The, the biggest challenge is, is if you're expecting, if you're planning on trying to sell to that maintenance manager without truly knowing his responsibilities, his role, his tenure, and things like that. So you always want to approach those as a, a, door, a door opener. You know, meet the person, let, you know, kind of get a, a more, a better lay of the land as far as you know, who all makes the decisions and you've got to assume it's going to be that person in addition to multiple other people if not multiple other people with the advice or the support from that person um, you know I, I, and I bring that up because you know obviously we know that, that Brian's not with us anymore and you know he, he was a very very good prospector he, he would see a place and he knew the places that we want to do business at. His biggest challenge was he would get to those places through the maintenance shop. And he was not very comfortable or willing to ask the tough questions with the maintenance folks of who else is involved in making this decision. And how do we get that person engaged in this process? He stuck with that person, and that was ultimately, you know, his biggest battle. But he got his foot in, and you just got to know once your foot's in there where you want to go with it. So that's just what I want to add. But all great points, Rob, and, and those industries for sure are those that we want to be able to, to work and network with because they're all in places where we can help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of why – you know, I was saying, leading in with the maintenance person, it's, you know, it is a it is a good way to gather data on HVAC. It's a good way to, you know, start getting the lay of the land that, you know, some people up higher up the chain just are not aware of. But it's very easy also. Those guys are used to contractors coming in, vendors coming in. They kind of just sift through and then, you know, what they want to do is they want to be the information gatherers and then they want to control how that information goes up the chain. And so it's very easy to start to go through the process, you know, or you go through the concept meeting and you don't, if you don't involve the other people in the conversation, the people that would actually sign the agreement early 
what what can happen and what happens more often than not is you get stuck with that person you don't ask the hard question up front because it kind of gets a little bit tense when you're trying to say like hey we need to involve this person early before we waste a lot of time and then what happens is if you go through the process or you start to go through the process whenever you realize it might be going off the rails or they might not be you know the right financial mindedness to understand what we got it's very hard then to go around them because if you try to go above them and you know they don't have a a buy-in to like yeah this is what we need to do they can be roadblocks in the background that are kind of like all right this guy slighted me he you know went above me and now he's talking to my boss about all the things that are wrong throughout my facility that I'm in control of or I'm the reason why they got there. So it's it's a little bit of a touchy way to, you know, to to slip in, but it's also very impactful if you have the right conversations with them. All based around I want to help you, you know, I'm here to help and that's what I like to do. So it's it's interesting. I never knew there were so many people that made that decisions on HVAC until I came to this company. But it also helps you, you know, the longer longer you do it, the more you just kind of get into it. You start to kind of figure out pretty quickly, okay, these people can say no but not yes, but they have good information, and how do I kind of get to the right person with the right, you know, the right message. But it all comes back to, you know, what always happens with MSRs is there's a flurry of activity, you know, then you get to a situation of, you have five concept meetings, you have two, you know, assessments, you have two verification meetings, and then it's very easy to start getting caught up into all that stuff that you're doing, that the water in, the new prospects, that effort starts to go down, and then you find yourself in a month or two, you're waiting for all these deals to close, but you got nothing fresh, nothing new coming in, and then when you get a couple of no's, it can just really, you know, hurt hurt your uh, your drive a little bit unless you continually bring people in you consistently are starting new conversations you're getting new deals going because the last thing you want to have happen is you know be two weeks away from the end of a quarter and you got three or four deals that have been floating for three months and you're just sitting there like okay I really got to close you know these or else I'm toast so constantly have you know new stuff coming in and all that and stay consistent with finding new people. You know, I'd say right now where you guys are at, it's just gather as many people as you possibly can. But as you go in, just make sure you're at least doing 10 new prospects, you know, a week and don't get emotionally invested on an opportunity based on just the opportunity. Like, oh, this is an $80,000 G. I've been calling this one guy for you know, for three months and he hasn't answered, but he's going to answer eventually. Don't be afraid to kind of kick, you know, kick those ones and come back to them later, but, you know, consistently bring in and look for new opportunities and new people to help because that's, you know, what it's all about is if you're going out there trying to actually help people, gain better understandings, be genuinely curious as to what's going on and how you can help, that's when, you know, it kind of it starts to click because people don't feel like you're trying to push a sale on them because they'll lock down pretty quick. Yeah, that's a that's a great great point and very very true. When you have your suspect list of 20, 25, however you have on there, and you realize that four or five of them are just that opportunity that Rob is talking about. It's a eighty, you know, it's a roughly eighty hundred thousand RG, great place. You know the guy you want to talk to, and so you're very reluctant to take it off your list. You know, you call him and call him and call him. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't fight that need and desire to just have it there because, oh, man, this is a really good opportunity, whatever else. Like, don't be afraid to kick it back into the 300, of, you know, list of 300 and come back to it in a few months or maybe by then you can you know, get another name or get a referral or something else. But I, I was very guilty of that as well. There, I did places that I 
knew I wanted to get into or great places. And then before you know it, one third of your people you're calling every day are places that realistically you're not going to get in touch with. And so what happens? And then you don't get any appointments and you don't have any opportunities and it just becomes a, a vicious cycle from there. So, so Matt Morin, I know um, you know Rob had asked about you know your uh, prospecting, maybe you know how you're keeping up, you know with your list, how you're managing that. Um, sure. Yeah, I uh, I started out by um, just creating a big Excel spreadsheet, and this is my actual one right now. Um, and as I get a piece of information like what I just talked to Ken about that. Percentius, or however you say it, as I get it, as I get a piece of information, I just jot it down next to that. But you know, I've got a column for the company name, the notes on that, the key contact I'm calling on, their position, the address, the city, state, zip, phone number, and then I've got a column for boilers and chillers. Because if I find out they have a boiler or chiller, which not every place does, then that's a very big information piece that I try to uh, know. And if I know that, then I can go in the door talking about their boilers and chillers instead of just blending in with the rest of the HVAC folks. But um, I, I call it my, I call it my dream 100 list. I don't know, you, well, you can't see that, but it's all blurry. But uh, it's the dream 100 list because I started out with this long spreadsheet that uh, had so many buildings on it that they're all not really good targets they're 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 nice buildings but i narrowed it down to a hundred that are the ones that i really want to focus on um my dream 100 list but what i did was i went and used google earth and took a couple hours uh, on the weekend and google earth my whole all seven counties um and found all the target buildings that were over ten thousand square feet you could use the google earth tool and take the square footage pretty quick and, and uh, if they were look like nice buildings and they cut their grass based on Google images uh, then I would put them on my list and then I would then go to zoom info and took a couple hours and went through zoom info and found all the key contacts and put it on, on the spreadsheet so when I go to call them I know who I'm calling and I've already you know identified who the key person is um, but that list got to be like 650 buildings in the seven counties, and I don't want to call on 650 buildings. So, and I can't even call on 300, like what I heard was recommended 300. It's just too overwhelming. So I narrowed it down to my dream 100 that this year or the next couple of months, if I just work on moving these 100 key people that I've already talked with my GM about that are target, you know, target buildings that we don't already it took an hour to meet with my GM to figure out what, what already is under contract and what is not under contract because I wasn't given a list of who our current contacts were. Um, you know, up until a week ago, I didn't have a list of our, our, our database. So now I know who we are least contracting and, and servicing. So I don't want to call on somebody we're already contracting, right? Uh, already helping. That was a... Uh, interesting piece <laughs> but uh, now that i got it down to 100 people um I, i'm just taking those and calling on those whenever it's time to make calls and i keep it with me I, I print it out and i keep it with me that's a key part of it i think is when i'm riding down the road and i pick up a piece of information or somebody says something i can find them on my list and go next to them or maybe i realize a friend of a friend is you know working there i, I have a place to put that information that little technique has really helped me. Yeah, it does it. I mean, it's great. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that's a great way of being able to um, look around, you know, a, a, a huge list. And I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about at the beginning in terms of developing, um, uh, you know, a prospect list that's two, three hundred, the idea behind that is that once, if you have that to work with, doesn't take much to narrow down, um, you know, in just like you know, Matt was just talking about, finding ways to zero in, um, kind of filter out, you know, things that you don't, as you look at the buildings more closely or just like Matt was saying, 
um, you know, you, you go into the database, you look at what uh, we have existing, and, and I can help with that. Sorry it took you so long to get that, but I can I can be a resource for that too, you know, in terms of being back, um, you know, for you or anybody. Um, you know, it's, it's having that repository to fall back on because once you get that list developed and you start working through it, you all know that it, in some cases it doesn't take long, you know, to start chipping away at that list. You need something to fall back on, you know, to, to go back in and um, refresh that and, 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 and add to it. And, you know, having a, a list, you know, to fall back on, whatever number that is, it, it, it's, it's good, you know, to be able to, to have that as a resource, you know, to go back into. And Rob and I were talking um, earlier this week about Salesforce and, and another way, you know, that he's been managing his prospects uh, through Salesforce. And I had asked him, if you would, just to talk to that a little bit and, and you know, share, you know, what he's got going on and, and how that's working out for him.
going after and, you know, have opportunities or whatever that are coming around. And then warms are like people that I've had meetings with. It just wasn't the right time, but it was the right person. And so I kind of use this as a way to kind of stay up on, you know, what I've got out there. But as you can see, I have a ridiculous amount of them. Um, and this is this is kind of just how I keep my list of what I what I want to go after, how I'm going after them, and then I can sit here and what I'll do is I'll be calling through all the people that I need to, you know, uh, follow up with or what have you. And then I'll work through that list and say if I get a, uh, you know, say if I get a meeting at like this place at, you know, in Rock Hill, the next thing I'll do, say it's like on a Thursday of next week, I'll go up to the city and then unselect, go down to Rock Hill, and it'll pull up all the people that are in Rock Hill that I have, and so I'll start calling all those people based on where I have a meeting next Tuesday and try to set up another meeting, you know, in the same area. And I try to space them out to give myself enough time to, you know, get to the concept meeting a little bit early, do three right, three left, have the meeting, then have enough time to get to the other place. And I try to, I try to cluster those concept meetings together so that I'm managing my time and I'm not letting, you know, my calendar dictate where my time is spent. I'm dictating where my time is spent through my calendar, if that makes any sense. So trying to cluster those together. And I'll also kind of dig through and just be like, okay, while I'm in an area, you know, where this concept meeting is, if I couldn't get another one, I'll pick, you know, 10 different places that are right, you know, right in that area that are ones that I want to go after and just do drop-ins. And so it's it's kind of just a way to have visibility over what all's around and maximize the time that you spend while you're in areas so that you're not, you know, driving from one end of town, you have a concept meeting at 9 a.m., then you have to drive, you know, an hour and a half to another concept meeting you know, and then you go straight from there to drive another 30, 45 minutes to get to an assessment. It's kind of a way, you know, that I keep keep things kind of per day in the same geography, just so I can kind of maximize time in front of in front of people or knocking on doors, warming stuff up for uh, you know for other follow ups. And so that's kind of how you know how I do it. There's probably more effective ways of of doing it but you know one of the other things I know that we only have seven minutes but uh, something you guys probably need to look at you know now that you're going around you know we all have Google Earth but one thing that you guys should look into in your uh, you know on Google you just type in whatever county and you uh, you type in GIS map and what GIS maps are is it gives you the ability to go in and you can zoom in and it will tell you who the owners are of piece of property that you're looking at. So like hybrid. So like if I wanted to let's see, I'll go up in this area. So like if I see this big old, you know, monster of all these different you know buildings you always want to go after owner occupied and so what the gis map gives you the ability to do is you can you know you can zoom in and then you can be like okay i want to know you know who owns this building right here check come on click it emma now it's just taking its time and not wanting to do anything Well, yeah, so what it does is, you know, it comes in, so on parcel three, you know, you can look at it in its ownership, Fairview Plaza Buildings, and American Asset Corporation. 
So then what you can do is you can see, okay, these guys own these three pieces of, you know, pieces of property. So then what you can do is you can dig into, okay, American Asset Corporation. And you can see it's a commercial property group. So it's a commercial property group that also owns the buildings they manage. So then you can be like, okay, executive manage, you know, executive management. Let's see what we got. Then you go in and you're you're looking at the people that are going to be managing those facilities that they own. So then you can kind of start looking into, okay, how do you know who do I want to go after? And it kind of gives you it gives you a pretty quick and effective way to filter out buildings that you would want to spend time at or buildings that you know right off the rip, these people lease this building, this probably isn't a great opportunity. But like with these people, these guys are, you know, an asset management corporation and they also own their own buildings. So you know that through going on the GIS and seeing who the ownership is. So it kind of helps give a, uh, a quicker way to be able to filter through and look at buildings and, you know, identify prospects based on being able to just use public data to see who owns stuff. So city of Charlotte housing authority. Okay. So that's, you know, government owned building, you know, right here, let's see prime care one out of Indianapolis. Okay. That's going to be somebody that has a regional, you know, a regional director of, buildings or whatever so it kind of helps you go through because you can you can figure out pretty quickly if you go through and you find you know companies that are LLCs you can literally just go to the LLC um, lookup so like American Asset Corporation Here and you literally just search for American. Why did you stop? And so you come in and it literally will tell you all right, registered agent is Paul Herndon. So the Paul, so Paul Herndon is one of two people, he's either the person that signed the mortgage on the location or he is their attorney representative and a lot of times people don't you know people's name literally the person that signed the mortgage on the land their name is you know right there and so you can also see 5950 Fairview Road so that's owner occupied because that was the that was the address of where it is so you know the people that signed the lease are in there Paul Herndon is whoever had the authority to sign it, and there you go. You're off to the races. Anybody have any questions about that? That's good stuff. No, it's, it's good. It's a great process, Rob. I mean, that's a, that's a key of any, for anybody that who, you know, looking at prospecting or whatever, is, is you just, you need to have a process. If you don't have a process, um, you're just kind of winging it every day, uh, that's not going to really set you up very well. Um, one thing, Rob, that I would, I would encourage you to do is, if you've, if you've reached out to Joe or not, but you know Joe's working on build-ups, mm-hmm. I understand that Salesforce, build-ups will be replacing Salesforce. So, I you know, like that scenario you just ran through is a great, great way to utilize Salesforce for that purpose. I just want to make sure Joe's in the know of how we're utilizing Salesforce so he can we can make sure this new system will still allow these to do this. Yeah. So if you could at some point just reach out to him and maybe walk him through how you do that. So we can make sure we don't lose that ability. Yeah, and that's a great, great way to do it. So good job. I was, uh, yeah, I appreciate you showing me that. I, I didn't know you could do that, um, but I also was told to not 
put a lot of time and effort into Salesforce right now because it's going to be replaced. And to only put in there our qualified leads, like, you know, after we get a, if they move forward with an assessment to put them in there um, is what I was told to do. But I'm, I'm reluctant to, when I first got here, I was going on a concept meeting and I looked up in Salesforce to say, oh, let me see what kind of history I got here on the client. And I stopped doing that after after that first day because I got real discouraged because it was, you know, it, it would say these notes about how they they only do bidding or, uh, you know, the, the sale was lost and we proposed $44,000. And so it was like this, I came in with my tail between my legs with that information of why we lost it or how we lost it or, or, or what the bad things about it the previous rep said. Um, and so I, I stopped looking it up on Salesforce before I go into a concept meeting. I, I don't know if that, if anybody has the same experience or a different experience. Yeah, I mean, the only, the, the main reason that that type of stuff is important is just when you have multiple MSRs in an office, and it just kind of helps you not step on each other's toes and not be calling the same people, um, you know, but yeah, when it comes to like opportunities, I'll look and, you know, even if you see one opportunities, like we got a split system five years ago. What I found was I I bring it up and then everything would just go to trash quickly because you're right back in the bucket of HVAC. They, right. they think of all of the things or whatever the previous rep said that led them to not buying what you do. And so, yeah, yeah it's 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 kind of head trash, but it's also kind of important just to make sure you don't have an active GPM on a customer that you're about to go have a concept meeting with. Right, right. I, I just... I I don't look at it because <laughs> yeah. I don't want to walk in there with, like you said, this negative information. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to filter it in my head, but once I get it in there, it's like watching trash news. You know, once you get it in your head, it's stuck. You know, you can't get yeah. it out. So I, I, I don't look it up. I don't look up anybody in Salesforce because there's only so many buildings in Columbia. And for 47 years, we've called on every one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so they're all in Salesforce. And so yeah. I, I don't really think it helps me prior to go in there and look them all up and see every time we got turned down over 40 years, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, that's good practice. Cause just like your, you know, metaphor to the trash news, that's going to be somewhat controversial, but there are trash sales guys that have gone through and like, you know, slung every proposal to whatever maintenance manager would give them the time of day. And that's, you know, that type of mindset of, okay, let me go see what they put in. The people that put that stuff in aren't here anymore. Right. Probably a reason. And so it's just like starting fresh and going through the process, going through the concept meeting with no preconceived notions and just actively trying to help people and being curious is, you know, you'll you'll turn something that somebody's gone after four times and not gotten anywhere into a GPM and our best customer because you came through, you had a clean slate, you tried to help them and you walked them through, you know, how we help people. So Yeah, and, and not only that, I mean, even if you know, I I look at it to where I, I like to see kind of not not necessarily the history but the what information is in there is any of it accurate or whatnot. But even if you know, let's say when when Chubb was here and he went and met with somebody, uh, and they were great, happy, whatever else, and oh, they had a long-standing relationship with a, you know a local company, and you know, no problems, no issues. All it takes is one thing to change. I mean, look look at the turnover happening in companies. Look at the turnover just specifically in our own company. I mean, look at the the, the people, the faces of this change in the last three months. That same thing is happening to every single one of those prospects that are in that list. Not to mention, their current situation has changed. They may have been having problems. I mean, look at the supply chain issues. Well, if, if they're current company dropped the ball and getting something ordered, you know, or didn't follow up on a part or piece and it made a certain 
further production go down, that great relationship it is now stressed. You know, so uh, I, even if you you look and you read stuff, you you, you got to kind of you always should approach an opportunity as completely different, fresh, um, things like that. You don't you don't yeah. you don't want to take anything to you know. Oh, don't call them. They're, they've used train forever and they have all trained stuff and they're not going to ever make a change like that's. I had a concept meeting this morning. Uh, I know we're over our time here, but I had a, had a little concept meeting this morning and it was uh, Huntley had met with them a, a year ago. Uh, and so I, I, I went in there and I won't do this again, but I acted like he had remembered the flip book and, and, remembered what they talked about a year ago and I said yo you probably seen this right and, and he's like man that was a year ago <laughs> you know and so from now on I'm, I'm gonna kind of ignore that and ignore that he'd already been called on and ignore he probably saw the flip book and saw the same pie chart and just go in there let me tell you about our company and and you know from a fresh standpoint I, I'm not gonna even bring up or acknowledge it to the point of saying oh, you you remember this book <laughs> Let me go through it again with you. Uh, yeah. Well, one other quick point. Just I know we are over time, but this this also goes right back to what Kent said. So the HVAC industry has never had a shakeup like it has had in the last two years. A lot of things have changed, and just like you know, every single you know, say if you meet with somebody a year ago, every you know, the next year, a lot can happen in a year. And every year, the units are one year older. And so issues will pop up and stuff like that. But one of the other things, when you think about what we're trying to do is educating decision makers and all that on, you know, asset management of their HVAC, essentially, you also have to look at things that are changing currently. So like right here, there's an article from last month. And essentially what it is saying is, Duke is losing money because raw fuel for power generation is becoming so expensive. So as of October 1, residential customers are going to get roughly a 13% increase in their bills. Commercial customers are going to get an average increase of about 18% in their bills. And industrial customers are going to receive an average increase of 24% in their energy bills. So energy is, you know, a new big shift in cost that their regular budgeting process of just saying, okay, add 2% or 3% on it onto energy, those budgets are blown. And now when you're also looking at, you know, we got lulled into the Amazon Prime mindset of, oh, a unit failed, like give me a quote and let's, you know, let's just replace it. So we're reactively replacing units. This is a quote right here, two different quotes that, um, uh, that Brent, put together two years apart. So in February of 2020, same 12 and a half ton, you know, uh, package unit was 17,000 bucks. So he quoted the identical one, 811, and they have inflation surcharge, all that type of stuff. And the same unit is now $33,000 and it has a, you know, 25 lead week or a 25 week lead time. So right now, if people have units that fail, they're going to be paying twice as much money and they're going to have to figure out what to do for 25 weeks as that area no longer has HVAC. So reason, you know, the whole reason for bringing that up is right now things are shifting more than ever for these people and these problems and challenges that used to just be like, oh yeah, we lost, you know, we lost a compressor, but we, you know, had it replaced. It was in in a couple of days. Or we had a unit fail, and we just got a bid, and somebody, you know, undercut everybody, and we got the unit in in a week. That stuff isn't happening right now. Right now, it's like, holy crap, we're not, you know, we didn't proactively plan. Now, what are we going to do for 25 weeks as this unit is being shipped? Are we going to rent a unit for 5000 bucks a week? And so those conversations are different now. So everybody that has been talked to by us, the entire situation has changed. 
and these people, you know, these people are are either feeling it or you can be the saving grace that comes in and, and shares with them what's changing. Because it's not just us that's having to wait 25 weeks and spending twice the amount of money to get a to get a unit in. That's every single mechanical contractor. So risk is going way up, energy is going way up, and profits are shrinking because of inflation. So how are your customers going to combat that? That's what we we can offer to them is a way to help combat that, get rid of wasted energy, proactively plan out and schedule and budget replacements of units in a proactive manner. So that's just my two-cent spiel about the changes. Well, that was about 50 cents worth, but it was worth it, us being able to listen to it. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's great information. I think it's good that we're having these kinds of conversations. And one of the things that we're wanting to build into the time that we've got Friday after the retreat is to be able to just share. You know, the big part of what we're going to be doing is just connecting with each other, just giving everybody the opportunity to get to know each other better. There are some things that we want to make sure we, we do. I think these kinds of conversations are beneficial you know, for us to have as a group. I'd also, I'm thinking about looking at, you know, maybe a couple of pieces of phase two and phase three of Southern Virginia, you know, just as a refresh, um, you know, for, for everyone then as mm-hmm. well. We'll have more information between now and then that's coming out of it. Um, I do appreciate everybody's, uh, as we get closer to the time, you know, I'll send that out and Kent and I will, you know, talk about, you know, some other things One we second. want to make sure that we cover you know, during that time that we're going to be together. But I appreciate everybody getting on today. I think it's good information. Um, and um, uh, thanks for everybody sharing. I hope you all have a, uh, a great weekend. And, um, finish out strong this week and uh, we will talk to you again next week so Justin real quick I know you're not connecting immediately after this I've got a couple things that popped up I gotta go take care of real quick um one second minute